This week saw the amendment to the Agriculture Bill voted down, much to the consternation of the farming world. Anything can come in treated with what we can't use. It can be grown how we can't grow it. It can be reared how we won't rear. You know, so it really is a bad, bad situation for British farmers. And what are you going to do if coronavirus is causing problems with the finances? The business interruption loan has, has come along and uh, the bounce back loans more, more recently. Brian Richardson, Head of Agriculture at Yorkshire and Clydesdale Bank, joins us shortly. Andrew Ward's back with another update direct from the farm. Sean has more timely agronomy advice and Kit Dickinson reports on the markets and we'll hear about a campaign to save one of the oldest breeds of sheep threatened with extinction. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hope you've had a good farming week despite the frosts and continuing lack of rain. Good news, there is some of that on the way towards the end of the week. I'm Steve Orchard. Good morning. Let's start with the farming headlines. Starting with the Agriculture Bill Amendment, which was intended to ensure that food sold in the UK but produced abroad conformed to our high standards, but was voted down in Parliament the other day. Here's farmer Andrew Ward. Yes, Steve, the amendment was voted on this last Wednesday and uh, yes, afraid to say as well, it didn't go our way, which is really disappointing because we had all hoped that uh, it would actually be written into law that our imports had to match the high standards environmental and um, animal welfare that we, we adhere to in the UK. And it, and it wasn't to be. And we are very concerned to hear that the government is considering freeing up access to our market for food produced overseas, um, especially at a time when we are struggling to manage huge volatility caused by the coronavirus. And, of course, this it really is difficult to understand because the government have long argued that any trade deals signed by the UK must ensure that food imports are produced to, or at least equivalent, environmental, animal welfare and food safety standards as, as we uh, do in the UK um, at the minute. And it, it's quite frustrating that they, they say one thing, that the MPs, and do another. And, and the government's always said, yes, we'll, we'll uh, make sure that all the food imports uh, are match your high standards. Um, but all they seem intent on doing is doing these trade deals with other countries and, uh, and then really not making sure that our imports are, are up to scratch. And it's quite frustrating as well when, as, as a, a lot of farmers, we wrote letters to MPs and replies got back saying, yes, they agree, they'll support us, and they agree food standards are vital uh, for the future of the industry uh, and the country and will support you and will back this bill. And then we find out they haven't and they voted against it. And, and, and this, it's easy to do because there are websites there that show how all these MPs voted. And, and the vast majority of the Conservatives MPs voted against uh, Neil Parrish's amendment, which is really, uh, you know, distressing and re- really um, difficult to take when they, they promise you otherwise. And it just makes you wonder now whether they say all these things to get your vote and, uh, and then that they go the other way. Well, I think there's going to be um, some serious thinking done uh, um, around when there's some next local elections going on. I really think there'll be some changes. 
But the big problem we've got now, obviously, is these standards. And we just feel that at the minute there's so many things happening at the moment with agriculture that the, the British government really doesn't uh, mind about food imports coming in from other countries that are grown to inferior standards because we already have oilseed rape doing that at the moment. Um, oilseed rape's coming in from the Ukraine, grown with products that we're banned from using. And, and that's not right. And we're just afraid that this is only the, 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 the start of it now and uh, more of this will be happening. The NFU has expressed shock that the court has ruled against the granting of a badger cull licence in Derbyshire. Last year, the then DEFRA secretary, Theresa Villiers, directed Natural England to refuse a licence to cull badgers in the county. This was challenged, but the challenge was dismissed on all grounds last week. JCB has partially restarted production at five of its UK factories to satisfy demand for agricultural machinery. Now, one of the oldest sheep breeds is under threat. A campaign has started to save the Lincoln Longwall. Louise Fairburn is chair of the Lincoln Longwall Breeders Association. Louise, thanks for joining us. Why is the Lincoln Longwall special? Well, the Lincoln Longwall has got incredible history, particularly in this county, but, but nationally. Um, they, they're just steeped in heritage, mainly because of the value of their wool, um, which really made absolute fortunes for the farmers, in, particularly in the 1900s, but right from the Middle Age, ages forwards. The clue is we in the to... name, I guess, isn't it? The Lincoln Longwall. And they, they produce more than the average amount of wool, do they? They do. Wool's, wool's paid for on weight. So the heavier your wool, the more you get paid. And a Lincoln clip's on average about eight kilos of fleece. So that's, that'll be a year's growth. Um, a commercial sheep might only clip something in the region of two kilos, so you can see there's a vast difference there. Absolutely. So why are they threatened? Well, it's, it's basically to do with the value of wool and the type of meat that the consumer wants to buy these days. So there's no real value in wool because we tend to favour man-made fibres you know, since sort of the 1960s and we started spinning nylon. But also the meat value... It's still there, but it just takes much longer to produce than a commercial cousin, if you like. So um, something from a continental breed might have lambs ready to go to the butcher within three months of birth, whereas a Lincoln's going to take at least double that. So they're a much slower maturing breed. And the breed was classed as vulnerable last year in the RBST watch list. Any idea how many there are? Yeah, we've only got 700 around 700 breeding ewes left in the entire country, so that's that's pretty low. So what does the campaign involve? What are you doing? Well, in light of the current situation, I think a lot of the plans for the campaign, which were to be out and about at agricultural shows promoting the breed, mm. having them in pens for public to see, aren't going to happen. So I think it's it's more going to be centred around online publicity there's lots of articles going out there into the media and press so hopefully that will generate a lot more interest in the breed and and have people you know decide that they might like to take them on yeah it's a shame to say the least that what is happening in the world at the moment has happened at uh, not the best time for the breed is it really we're having a bit of a strange year all in all like, everything's cancelled <laughs> like one of the, the important things about covid is the fact that all the shows and everywhere where we gain our publicity and, and generally new members are going to be cancelled or have already been cancelled. And then towards the end of the year where we have our annual breeding stock sale, that's also been cancelled. So we've got no way to you know, create any kind of um, public interest in the breed from a physical point of view. So everything 
has to be really done online, which makes things a bit more difficult. I mean, a, sheep, a sheep's a hands-on thing and you want to see them. Yeah, it's a shame to say the least that what is happening in the world at the moment has happened at uh, not the best time for the breed, is it really? So uh, where can we find out a bit more about uh, the long walk? Because there is a, a website for the society, isn't there? Yeah, we have a, we have a webpage, which is lincolnlongwalls.co.uk. Louise Fairburn, Chair of the Lincoln Longwall Breeders Association, thank you and good luck with the campaign. To Agronomy Now with Sean Sparling. First, though, Sean, you must be frustrated to say the least with last week's common vote on the Ag Bill. Yes, good morning, Steve. Well, I mean, a ridiculous situation that we now find ourselves in, really. You know, I've known Neil Parrish a long, long time. He's a very level-headed, sensible bloke. He's 100% behind agriculture and food production and understands the situation. He chairs the EFRA committee. And this amendment that he was trying to put down basically protects what we grow and rear in the UK from cheap imitations and imports where those criteria are not applied. That's what we were trying to achieve and voted down, which basically means now that... um, Anything can come in treated with what we can't use. It can be grown how we can't grow it. It can be reared how we won't rear. You know, so it really is a bad, bad situation for British farmers to find out that your government thinks you can just bring in cheap food and that's absolutely fine. It doesn't matter how they produce it as long as we produce it to all of the rules that we've set. Just absolutely ridiculous. I did a a round table on integrated pest management with 20 or so other people a couple of weeks ago and Victoria Prentice, the environment minister, was part of that. It was a Zoom, obviously. We couldn't get down to the meeting, so we did it over Zoom. It had been organised for weeks and weeks and weeks and Victoria Prentice was the MP and the minister who was involved in it and she left after six minutes. So I just wonder how focused they are on food production. And I put on Twitter the other day, they say that we never realise how much we've got until it's gone. But the sad fact is, we all know what we've got. We just never thought we'd lose it. And we need to protect farming and we need to wake up to the fact, particularly with everything that's going on, that food production is absolutely crucial to our survival. Anyway, look, let's move forward. Um, A very, very complicated season just got even more complicated this week because of the weather. Um, The frost, a frosty old week. We've got sugar beet fields half up and half just emerging. Weeds doing their thing quite happily. Weeds at sizes which are way too big. It's become very, very complicated out there because we can't go putting herbicides on emerging sugar beet crops in big doses because we'll damage the sugar beet crop. to that the drought stress i've only had 29.4 millimeters of rain since the first of march it's been a windy week so very very tense and nervous times out there in the field not grass cranesville pale persicaria in sugar beet very difficult to control once they get that one true leaf out but crop safety has to be your priority and remembering the sugar beet misers persicae i'm still finding none at all on some farms on top of the world um, in particular so only spray if you find that one wingless nymph per four plants that is your threshold very low popular population of the aphids carrying the virus so there's one silver lining i suppose but if you're finding that one in four threshold you have to spray them and remember biscaya is a very kind thing for beneficials winter wheat winter barley pushing on now is emerging um, boots forming mid-september drilled graham i've got full boot and the ear starting to smile at me orns fully emerged in the early drill winter barley so just watch your timings and your cutoffs for plant growth regulators and herbicides 
but in particular those plant growth regulators because last year ethafon caused significant damage um, on spring barleys in particular um, so we're finding rhinosporium levels and disease levels in general quite low in winter barley disease levels in wheat septorium moving up that canopy remember what we said dewy days windy days uh, kid with nits you know time for t2 as always once you get that flag leaf emerged think about your t2 ignore the gap between t1 and t2 you have to make sure that you're coating that flag leaf as it fully emerges um, and assume nothing out there cut these plants open peas and beans products are running out i understand uh, herbicide products so if you need them you might want to talk to your supplier brookid beetle that starts to migrate in two by 20 degree consecutive days i found them already stuck on my sticky traps but you don't start treating for brookid until you get those first pods setting which is a while away in most of these spring bean fields um, just keep the nutrition right for the now get the manganese and the the, the the nutrition and the trace elements get all that sorted out and get these crops ready because a healthy crop will withstand disease far far better than a backward crop or a stressy crop because it's got nutrient deficiencies um can't use clethodim in peas and beans remember that but if you do need to use mcpb or bentazone for goodness sake make sure you do it pre-flower bud formation and make sure the crop is well waxed potatoes up and through the ground you can use shark um, late for weed control of up to 10 percent emergence on main crop that does not mean the whole field can be through the ground that means 10 percent emergence that's almost nothing through the ground linseed flea beetle at it and that's a different flea beetle to cabbage stem flea beetle but if they're attacking it and they're taking it to pieces then you will need to deal with that everything needs a drink spring wheat spring barley t1 growth stage 30 widely out there in the field if you're using plant growth regulators make a call on those stress crops look at the soil types etc etc we had some significant crop damage last year from badly applied poorly timed growth regulators particularly in spring barley and if you're going for wild oats out there and you're using the pinoxidin products just take care with any acca um, products and those sequences just check that you're still legal so these ears are moving quickly within the stems and remember with any spring crop look at the lead tiller that's what you want to be judging by if you've got the main stem at growth stage 30 20 percent of the field will be there if the lead tillers at 30 50 to 60 percent of the field will be there so cut them open and throw that calendar away if you haven't already done it so no easy planning options this year it's constant monitoring it's adapting by field it's hard work but that's what we're paid for let's see what the next seven days bring Thanks, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services back same time next week. In a moment, we'll talk money and get an update direct from the farm with Andrew Ward and take a look at the markets with Kit Dickinson from Openfield. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Andrew Ward joins us in a few minutes with an update direct from the farm and Kit Dickinson from Openfield. We'll take a look at the markets as usual. But first, let's talk about money. Brian Richardson, Head of Agriculture for Yorkshire and Clydesdale Bank, joins us now. Now, Brian, I'll ask you in a moment what help might be available for a farmer or food processor from their bank and elsewhere. But first, in your opinion, how has the agriculture sector coped with the challenges of COVID-19? It could be argued that we've actually adapted better than some sectors. No, I, I, th- I think that's right, really. I think uh, my colleagues across the rest of the business bank have been incredibly busy in, in all sectors, hospitality, hotels, etc., as you can imagine, providing support for them. I think within the uh, agricultural portfolio, there was some early challenges we saw. And this 
What's particularly happened is obviously this massive move as food service closed down and there was this big move from uh, that sector across to retail with retail demand increasing. So uh, it's been a challenge for farmers, I think, in terms of markets moving about, volatility of markets. We had some panic buying early on, which caused a surge of demand. And then there was 10 days, two weeks after that, where it rebalanced itself and, and things quiet down a little. So. Overall, I think the, the, the farming sector has um, adapted remarkably well. There has been challenges in horticulture, obviously supplying plants and garden centres, etc. closing. Um, and also, particularly, I think, in the dairy sector, which is uh, a very short life product. Uh, you can't furlough dairy cows, of course, as, as a few people have said. So uh, the milk kept coming, but demand had changed. And a section of the dairy industry is certainly being uh, badly impacted by that and we've been supporting where required uh, and the dairy industry as a whole has been working very hard. So mixed picture, uh, divergent uh, within the sector. So, you know, some dairy farmers, it hasn't quite been business as usual, but uh, uh, they've been able to carry on as normal. Others very affected. And we've, we've seen other changes in, in the beef trade. Things like molten barley, obviously, the uh, brewers uh, aren't able to uh, sell their products at the moment. So a lot of molten barley uh, has been held up. So lo lo lots of challenges across the sector. But uh, I think compared to the wider economy, uh, agriculture has adapted very well. And of course, farming's a 52 week a year business, so it, it has carried on. Um, looking after the animals, producing the crops, etc. So in general, it could be worse, but there are those who are struggling. You mentioned the dairy sector, horticulture and those serving catering and food service. For those who are struggling financially at the moment, what help is available? How have the banks been able to assist their customers? The first thing we, we did through our, our network of managers and, and the other banks have done the same, I think, is talking to their customers, understanding what their specific needs are. So undoubtedly, stage one was very much looking at uh, did they need to adapt some of their existing uh, lending or support to fit with these new circumstances if cash flow was impinged. And we were certainly, uh, as other banks, were very active in that. Um, very much, I think, with agriculture, it's looking at individual circumstances. It's not one size fits all. And some of these challenges that have come along with, with COVID-19, I think for agriculture, we're going to see them over a period of time because it will impinge uh, selling later on and, and everything else. So capital repayment holidays, some people with asset finance have asked to uh, postpone some payments on that. Some people have needed uh, increased overdraft. So we, uh, as a bank, have been adaptable to that. And then, of course, the business interruption loan has, has come along and uh, the bounce back loans more, more recently have come along. The whole banking industry really is working incredibly hard to, to make sure businesses are supported. It's a great challenge because of the, the sheer volume of, of help that's not needed, not specifically with farming. Um, I think where We've worked particularly hard on the agricultural scene. Is last year we, we very much focused uh, on agriculture in terms of it. It is a separate sector, so our managers are very much uh, dedicated to their agricultural customers, and we we've maintained that throughout this because th there is a need to understand the language of farming, understand what's actually going on. So 
I think we're very lucky and well placed with our really experienced managers across the UK who've all working from home have kept in touch with their customers. They have a good long term relationship with the customers. They understand the nuances of those businesses. So we've been very active helping them uh, where needed. And even where specific help isn't needed at the moment, we've been able to give that reassurance that if further down the line there are challenges in people's businesses, then then we're there to support them. And and we understand that. Where we've seen specific sector challenges like dairy, we've been working closely with with those producers over whatever they need. So I think we are well placed as a a bank. Um, We focus very much on that customer relationship and that stood us in very good stead through all this. It really does underline the importance of long-term loyalty in business relationships. Uh, And if help is needed talk to your bank first yes yes most farmers will have contact points with the bank so talk to your bank first uh understand what you need you'll have your wider set of of advisors many farmers will have and and certainly you know look at your business what are you needing now in terms of the immediacy of the issue have you got particular issues and also just looking ahead a little bit the where are the challenges going to come if if uh covid19 as it looks like it does it's going to run a little while we're going to be running in some people are going to have labor challenges coming on farmers are busy planning for that so it's understanding the nuances of what might be needed and then talking that through so that uh appropriate things can be put in place uh relative to that business i don't think in farming there is one size fits all Brian, many thanks for joining us on the farming programme. That's Brian Richardson, Head of Agriculture for Yorkshire and Clydesdale Bank. Time for an update direct from the farm. Andrew Ward joins us. Morning, Andrew. How's things with you? Yeah, good morning, um, Steve. Our ever-changing weather patterns, um, I'm afraid, starts this, this update for you on the farm. Uh, but not because of of drought, even though we've got that, or or, um, uh, rainfall, but frost. The last few mornings we've had temperatures below freezing, and I get up every morning about 5.30, and it's incredible the last few mornings to see absolutely white over. And uh, it makes it extremely difficult when you're trying to control um, weeds and broadleaf weeds in sugar beet and applying herbicides because you can get some serious crop scorch um, and issues if you if you do that. Um, the the other problem, of course, potato growers will be suffering that these potatoes, a lot of them, are just coming through the ground and uh, frost really really does hammer those young potato plants and it can take the leaves off and seriously reduce yield so that is another another major um, issue so the frost is causing problems it means we can't start um, spraying and treating things very early in the morning and we have to stop in plenty of time in the afternoon uh, before any uh, colder weather um, sets in and to let these these herbicides and these plants um, prepare themselves for the night so so that's one issue we've got and while we mentioned the sugar beet it is looking quite good we've got um, some heavy land sugar beet and light land and probably at the minute the heavy land is is looking the best all of it was drilled in march about the 25th of march time so we're, we're quite pleased with that at the minute so yeah that that that's had a few millimeters of rain and it's done a little bit of good um so we're, we're sort of sugar beets nicely nicely growing on um the the spring barley and spring wheat we've got we've got a a, a few fields of spring barley but a lot of the farm is down to spring wheat and the barley is laureate and diablo the two varieties we have and we're growing the laureate for malting and we're growing the diablo for um for feed and uh, and yeah they're looking well we we managed to get them in and and planted in good conditions we managed to hit the moisture with our um simba drill we use and despite 
uh, having only about probably I think 10 millimetres of rain in the past six weeks um, they are looking remarkably well um, and they've had the first uh, or about to have some of the fields are the first fungicide and a growth regulator uh, for control disease um, so, so that's good and spring wheat is the same and we're looking at that there's odd fields of that and another couple of weeks we'll be getting their fungicide and we've got varieties uh, Chillum and Kilburn there and all the spring crops have had their um, nitrogen now in fact all the, all the crops have sugar beets finished and the winter wheat's finished so we've no more nitrogen to apply and we apply that all as a liquid um, as a lot of uh, people know so that that's all looking good really we've we've uh, also um, on the winter wheat we've got about 130 acres of january drilled uh, winter wheat on on the light land we managed to get that in and swap the cropping round and that is um, all shabras apart from a very small area of, of skyscraper uh, so varieties skyscraper for seed and and again they're looking really well and they're just approaching now their their growth stage 32 spray so they're going to be getting their their first main fungicide with some trace elements and also a growth regulator so uh, they're looking well really and I'm, I'm quite pleased with those despite late drilling but I think yield wise on this light soil um, on the heath if we probably get three tonnes per acre or seven and a half tonnes per hectare is about the level where I'm going to be looking at um, at the minute. Uh, we don't have any oilseed rape in the ground. We've got all that um, planted with wheat instead. We'd lost £130 an acre on all of it. Um, and of course, um, we, we weren't going to have a decent harvest if we'd left the few plants we'd got. So we put spring wheat instead. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased we did looking at how that uh, that is um, established. And the other thing we're doing on the farm at the moment, uh, we've got uh, about seven hectares of winter bird food plots dotted around the farm for our uh, countryside stewardship scheme. And that's great because we're now in year three of that. So we've just uh, spraying them off with glyphosate or, or Roundup, as some listeners might know know it. And we're shortly going to be putting the, the next crop in that will take these through to the winter. And it will give our great wildlife and, uh, and songbirds and all the insects we have around the farm that we cherish, it will give them somewhere to feed and uh, a nest and nurture and it will give them somewhere to hide and some areas to live in through the winter. So that's an important part of, of, of what we do and a lot of the countryside now, you can see these areas popping up and uh, and growing around, which I think is great to see. We get a lot out of the countryside, we get a lot out of nature and it's just nice um, to put things back. Absolutely. Thanks, Andrew. To the markets with his weekly report, here's Kit Dickinson from Open Field. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Uh, this week has seen another USDA report released. The overall sentiment on the wheat was bearish, with a smaller wheat crop assumed in the US, the EU and the Ukraine. US crop estimate was lower by 3% year on year. Increased production, however, for Argentina, Australia, Canada and, strangely, Russia, whom are themselves talking at lower have come out. However, decreased demand as expensive wheat is expected to be replaced by cheaper maize, although there is a large carryover of stock from 2019 harvest, meaning that the global stock-to-use ratio is expected to go up, effectively meaning that we are producing globally more than we need. On the back of the USDA report, we saw a weakening pound on Thursday morning at 88.62 pence versus the euro. 
London Liffey made further losses on Wednesday following the U.S. wheat was down in the negative. The USDA report detailed last week's gain. Double-digit losses in the U.S. as fears escalated about how we are going to move the excess stock of old crop. Maize wasn't quite as bad, but the funds are already hugely short. London traded just one pound under on new crop, majorly helped by the weakening pound, as already mentioned, with confirmation of a dire economic situation going forward. Adding to short-term concern was domestic demand. Further stories came out on Wednesday, again, with more mills not taking what they should do. Mid-May is not the ideal time to get a full and true picture, but it may have made some traders very nervous. We do not need demand, and we're not entirely sure why mills are running behind. They have bought cheaper maize already, and their sales have dropped. Or is it just the volume of grain that we have is physically trading in May is making us run short and behind? Moving on to all seed rape this week. OSR made gains early in the week, but they were very short-lived, with a negative day on Wednesday cancelling any gains that had been made. There are some good OSR crops out there, but there are also many crops that are short and patchy. We now know that the UK will need to import all seed rape, but the question remaining is how much. The two main factors will be how much carryover from old crop to new crop, and how much have we planted this year, and what will the yield be, remembering that we planted a significantly reduced area, as well as many hectares being taken out of production due to flea beetle, slug damage, and an extremely wet winter. Limited news on barley this week. Prices are staying mostly the same. Although spring crops did get a drink last weekend, there is nothing in the forecast going forward on the short term, which means they could start to suffer from drought, and they're still not taking up any nitrogen that has been applied. Markets are fairly non-existent on beans at present with a bearish tone. Any consumers requiring top-ups will wait until they absolutely need the tons. There are cheap peas still floating around and looking for homes, taking demand away from the bean market. New crop market is very thin and looking at £30 above November futures as an ex-farm. Prices this week, feed wheat for May is 145 to 147 August 155 to 157, November 159 to 161, February 162 to 164, and May 21, 165 to 167. Milling premiums for old crop are currently 25 to 27 pounds. Oil seed rate for May is 301 to 303, August 305 to 307. November 315 to 317, February 318 to 320, and May 21, 321 to 323. Feed barley for May is 120 to 122, with a slight drop going into August at 115 to 117, November 122 to 124, February 125 to 127, and in May 21, making it to 130 to 132. There are currently no malting premiums available for old crop or new crop. And an indication on beans for November, as I said earlier, £30 above November futures at 190 to 195. Thanks as ever, Kit. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. As Andrew said, a frosty week last week, which certainly hasn't helped the new crops. It is warming up this week, though, and thankfully it looks like we've seen the back of the overnight frost for this season. 
Some rain over the far north of the UK, but most of England looks set for another dry week. There's virtually no rain before Thursday night, but some good news. There is quite a bit of rain forecast for Friday. For today, light winds from the southwest and sunny spells dry with a high of 17 Celsius and down to 9 Celsius overnight into Monday. Wind from the west for the start of the week, light to moderate, maybe a light shower tomorrow afternoon but generally bright with a high of 19 Celsius. Similar on Tuesday, perhaps a degree or two warmer. Tuesday night into Wednesday sees the wind back right round to southeasterly, staying light, sunny and dry with a high of 21 Celsius. Thursday sees the wind pick up a little to moderate, staying dry through the day, but some heavy rain looks likely overnight and into Friday. Certainly a cooler day with highs of 16 Celsius and the wind moving back to westerly. That's it for the farming programme this week. Back next week at the same time. And a reminder that if you're listening live and you missed anything, you can hear today's programme and all previous editions on the on-air section on the website and on the app and from wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Steve Orchard. Stay safe, stay alert and have a good farming week.